It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. It was a wild and very intense weekend for me dealing with the president's health. I hope yours was a bit more relaxing. I somehow found myself both days in the middle of uh, the story that has absolutely gripped the nation as President Trump, and we wish him a speedy recovery, uh, battles COVID-19 at Walter Reed. Uh, you know, I've passed that giant building a million times. It's a short drive from my house. It used to be called Bethesda Naval. And I want to say before I get into the details of what happened over the weekend, you know, these are not partisan comments. I've known Donald Trump for more than three decades. I really wish personally that he gets uh, well as soon as possible, as well as his wife, Melania, and all the other people who have been infected. We've get to that in a second. And I think it, it is important for the country that he gets well as soon as possible. And I'm glad that he, as president, is getting the finest possible medical treatment. People say, well, you know, this is not available to the ordinary person. Yeah, that's right. The ordinary person is not the leader of the free world. But at the same time, the way in which the medical and communications teams have handled um, letting the nation know about the health of the commander in chief has been a disaster. It's been an S show. It's been an almost textbook case in how not to do it. Uh, So let me just sort of walk through from my perspective, uh, what happened on Saturday and Sunday. We'll get into some of the coverage and we'll look at some of the polls and a lot of other stuff to get to here on the podcast. So I'm not usually on television Saturday. I'm usually preparing for Media Buzz on Sunday. But uh, because of the the magnitude of the story, a lot of the top people were called in. And so I went on the air. But first, uh, I guess it was around 1130 in the morning Eastern. um, I watched the first briefing at Walter Reed by a team of doctors. They are led by the president's personal physician, Sean Conley. And let's just say uh, Conley, it was pretty apparent that Conley was not being completely forthcoming. He was asked again and again and again, uh, did the president need to be on any oxygen, any supplemental oxygen? And he kept parsing the language. Well, he's not on oxygen now. Well, he wasn't on oxygen yesterday. And you could tell he was dancing around something. And it was obvious to anybody. And he just wouldn't give a straightforward answer to the question. The Associated Press later reporting that, in fact, on Friday morning, remember, this all started 1 a.m. Friday morning, 1 a.m. Eastern, when the president tweeted that he uh, and the first lady had tested positive for COVID-19. And I'll get into more about that. And it turns out there was a second test. But so Dr. Conley is going to dance around the question. The AP says, yes, Friday morning, while still at the White House, the president was put on supplemental oxygen. But Conley didn't say that. Also, what happened was in the course of his um, briefing and, you know, all the press is there, um, you know, the entire tension of the country is riveted. How is the president doing? How are his symptoms? Is he going to recover? How long will it take him to recover? Conley says, well, we're now 72 hours into the diagnosis. And the media had started exploding. 72 hours, because remember, this is Saturday morning. The president had only disclosed that he had had the test early, very early Friday morning. And here's uh, his doctor saying essentially it had been three days. So, there was those two things and just a general sense of he was so upbeat, the president's feeling great, he feels like he could walk out of that hospital now. And I understand, look, the guy is, is, is a physician, 
but he's also a political appointee, and he's trying to walk the line between providing an upbeat projection of how Donald Trump is doing and sort of leveling with the American people. But needless to say, subsequent events showed that he did not strike the right balance. So I'm watching this. I'm supposed to be on in the 1 o'clock hour. And about 15 minutes after um, the briefing is done, so I, you know, I get all the White House pool reports in my email. And a pool report pops up, and it says, Source familiar with the president's health it provides a far more pessimistic view of how Donald Trump was doing. After Conley was out there, oh, he's just great. He's in such great spirits. He wants to walk out of here. He's improving. It's so good. This source says that the president's vital signs were concerning over the past 24 hours and that the next 48 hours would be crucial. Now, this was given to the pool. So this isn't like one reporter calling up one source who's maybe, you know, three levels removed from what's going on. And I knew, I, I basically instantly realized that nobody below the level of the chief of staff would say this. As it turns out, Mark Meadows was the only White House official at Walter Reed while this was going on. So he uh, took it upon himself, but it could only be reported that he was on background, a source familiar to the president's health. So, uh, when I went on Fox News, uh, look, the anchors are dealing with a million things. And these particular items hadn't been focused on. So I said two things. One, I said, the president's doctor to say he had this 72 hours ago raises serious questions about when the public was told and why President Trump chose on Thursday night to go to that fundraiser at his golf club in, in Bedminster, New Jersey. Um, so there was that. Secondly... I said that, you know, there's no way the White House, the White House created total confusion by having this source say, hey, you know, we're pretty worried here. The next 40 hours are crucial and concerned about his vital signs. Dr. Conley had said nothing like that. So I said that on the air, and I think that, you know, at least helped change Fox's coverage. Other channels were already dealing with this. Uh, and Bill Hemmer, one of the best in the business in terms of dealing with breaking news, you know, started leading with it. You know, the 72 hours, the concern about uh, the president's vital signs, as reported by this source. They made up a graphic of the uh, quote from the pool report. And then I started getting flack online. Well, you know, unnamed sources. Well, you guys make the, these sources up. No, this was not the case. As it very quickly turned out, it was Mark Meadows, the highest ranking official in the White House. And he felt... He obviously felt that the doctor's briefing was so upbeat that it was out of touch with the reality of the situation. And the AP reported it was Meadows. And then a videotape surfaced of Meadows walking over to a handful of reporters. These are just the pool reporters who, you know, are then obligated to give their uh, information to all the reporters who can't get into the tight space because you can't have 100 reporters, you know, behind the scenes at Walter Reed. And he says, can I go off the record with some of y'all? And so obviously it was Meadows. And, and Meadows has gotten flack for this, including for the president who was not pleased and who heard about this. He's watching television in the hospital. And he hears about the source and he said, who the F said that? More on that in a moment. But obviously this was huge news coming out from the White House and, and a complete dichotomy. The doctor saying he's fine, he's getting better, everything's rosy. And another White House official, who's the White House chief of staff, saying we are concerned and things were not going so well. So I'm on Fox saying this. 
about 10, no more than 15 minutes later, even though the briefing had now by now been almost two hours earlier, uh, guess what? Dr. Conley puts out a clarification. Oh, I misspoke when I said 72 hours. I meant to say day three. I didn't mean 72 hours. So obviously, I, I, I'm not going to leap to a conclusion here, but it, it's pretty evident that somebody, let's just say a very high-ranking official of the United States, was watching Fox, didn't like the turn that the coverage took when suddenly there's this dissenting view, uh, and suddenly Conley puts out this clarifying statement. That's a pretty big mistake to make when you're, you know, obviously they had time to get ready for the briefing. Okay, so that's Saturday. So Sunday morning, getting ready for media buzz, uh, I hear there's going to be another White House briefing. It's going to be during my show, probably about 11.30 Eastern. So meanwhile, I'm vacuuming up all the information I can about uh, press reports, about how the president was doing, the fact that it was Meadows, and, and all of that. So during the show, um, usually I'm just on the cable channel, Fox News Channel. But when there's a, a story of huge national importance, uh, internally we call this level two. We have a level two call, which means that I have to, at a certain point, pause and welcome all the lo local Fox stations across the country, almost 200 stations, to the coverage. They start picking up the cable coverage. And you've got to hit it precisely so that they can get out of their programming and go to the briefing uh, by the president's doctors and the medical team at Walter Reed. So I do that. We're watching the briefing, which they, they kept pretty short this time, which means I had a chance to come back and, and finish the show. Uh, I think having had a not-so-hot experience, um, dealing with the press. Conley wanted to be really careful. And suddenly, Dr. Sean Conley is giving a lot more information than he gave the previous day. He confirms the press reports that the president, uh, his oxygen level had dropped not once, but twice over roughly a 24-hour a, a period. And the, the first time, I believe, I'm not sure if it's the first time or the second time, when his, his oxygen level dropped, which is um, necessitating the need to give him supplemental oxygen, um, it went down below 94%. Now, 94% is a key benchmark. Uh, it sounds high, but it's actually pretty low. If you go below 90, you're in serious, serious trouble. If you go below 94, the medical advice, the standard medical advice is you give this patient oxygen. So that's what happened. That's why he was ducking all the questions. He also talked in more detail about the antibody cocktail and the uh, steroid, uh, with a name that I'm going to have trouble pronouncing, that was given to the president. And medical experts say you don't give that kind of aggressive treatment to somebody who has only mild symptoms. You give that when their uh, symptoms are more severe. Also, the White House had originally put out uh, he had a low-grade fever. Well, it turns out he had a high fever. So on almost every point... The press was right to raise questions. The press reports turned out to be true. The first uh, medical briefing, not so much. So here, live during the show on Sunday, Conley is now saying, yes, below 94%. We gave supplemental oxygen. We're giving him the antibodies. We're giving him the steroids. And of course, reporters asked, and I think the reporter, the tone of the reporter's questions seemed a little too aggressive, given that the president is seriously ill. Nevertheless, the questions are legitimate. And here's Dr. Conley saying, here's what he said. Well, why didn't you say this yesterday? Why were you so upbeat? Quote, I didn't want to give any information that might steer the course of illness in another direction. And in doing so, you know, it came off that we were trying to hide something which wasn't necessarily true, which wasn't necessarily true. What he's saying is really that he was broadcasting uh, to an audience of one, that he's trying to keep the president's spirits up. And in that 
vain, he's admitting, I didn't give you the full information. I held stuff back. I said things that weren't true or I implied things that weren't true because I didn't. I thought if I was too downbeat, it might um, be depressing for the president. But at the same time, he's briefing to the world. He's taking reporters' questions. There were all these cameras there and he was not giving a full and accurate picture of the president's health. Later yesterday, the White House Communications Director, Alyssa Farah, uh, had this to say about the conflicting messages. When you're treating a patient, she said, you want to project confidence. You want to lift their spirits. And that was the intent. As for Mark Meadows, putting out that uh, more accurate statement on background, oh, we were trying to be as transparent as we can. So that's what happened over the weekend. I think from the point of view of instilling confidence in the medical information we're getting about the president's health, um, it was kind of a debacle. I don't think there's any other way to put it. And obviously, this is not the first time this has happened. You go back to FDR, who was dying when he was running for a fourth term. You go back to Woodrow Wilson and suffering the stroke. JFK having Addison's disease and not disclosing it to the public. And I have been around long enough that when Ronald Reagan was shot in 1981, I was a young reporter. I was sent to the hospital to find out what the hell was going on. It was George Washington University Hospital. Uh, one of his aides, Lynn Nofziger, came out and gave an upbeat report. Um, and I, I was working for the Washington Star, an afternoon newspaper, which basically doesn't exist anymore. And we didn't have cell phones, and I had to go knock on neighbors' doors and find a phone that I could use to call in the quotes for a special late edition of the paper that we put out. But I later discovered in my reporting the next day, uh, which had not been disclosed, talked to a couple of paramedics who were with the president in the uh, ambulance or whatever... Um, device or vehicle, I should say, was used to transport Reagan, uh, that he had suffered a precipitous loss of blood and was in much more serious condition than we had been led to believe. So there's a long history here I just want to give you for historical context. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. So let me update you on some other things that have happened. While he's in the hospital, and this is understandable, Trump's doing videos. He's trying to project the image of a president at work. There's a photo of him signing what turned out to be a blank piece of paper. Okay, I don't think that's such a big deal. Also, uh, and I'll get to the Wall Street Journal story on this in just a moment. Last night, shockingly to me, the president trying to project you know, a healthy, vigorous image, even though he has a very serious disease, he went out for a ride. He went out. There's, there are crowds outside Walter Reed with signs. They're mostly Trump supporters. You know, I get it. You know, sometimes presidents come through the window and give a thumbs up. He got into the armored car and he drives by the supporters. He's wearing a black mask and through the window you can see him waving and he's waving and waving. And I understand politically why he wanted to do this. But he's been driven by Secret Service agents and he put their health at risk. They were wearing masks. They had plastic shields. They had all kinds of stuff. But was it necessary to do that? Here is a quote in the New York Times. Well, first, a statement made by Dr. James Phillips. He is an attending physician at Walter Reed. He tweeted this. Every single person in the vehicle during that completely unnecessary presidential drive-by just now has to be quarantined for 14 days. They might get sick. They may die for political theater commanded by Trump to put their lives at risk for theater. This is insanity. In response, uh, Judd Deere, White House spokesman, said precautions were taken in organizing this. The movement was cleared by the medical team as safe to do. Um, all of that. So I don't know. Um, I find that troubling. Now, let me get now to the uh, 
Wall Street Journal story. But as you know, there's some talk that the president may be released today and go back to the White House. Now, the White House has a medical unit there, so it's not like he's just would not be attended by doctors and getting high-level care, but it doesn't have the sophisticated equipment that Walter Reed does. And it kind of raises this question, as with the briefings, who's making the final call here? This is a military hospital. He's the commander-in-chief. Even if the doctors don't think that he should be released, normally they talked about keeping him for probably five days, would be standard with this level of severe symptoms. Uh, what if he just says, I am ordering you to release me, and I'm going to the White House? I don't know that anybody can stop him. But inevitably, there will be medical experts and others who might speak out. Wall Street Journal story is a bit eye-popping. President Trump didn't disclose a positive result from a rapid test for COVID-19 on Thursday while awaiting the findings of a more thorough coronavirus screening, according to people familiar with the matter. So, I'm actually partially sympathetic to the president on this one. He got one of these rapid tests. It's a quick swab. It came back positive. This is Thursday night. And the protocol is, well, you could have a false positive. It doesn't happen too often, but it is possible. So the protocol is you then have the more thorough test, which takes a little bit longer to get the results. It's the deeper um, swab that goes you know, way up your nose. But while he had gotten the first positive test, and, and I understand you don't want to like panic the country and the world by putting out what turns out to be a false positive. And then a few hours later, you have to say, never mind, I've tested negative. I get that. But nevertheless, during that time, Thursday evening, one, he went to the New Jersey fundraiser and exposed people, donors and others there, uh, potentially. Two, he called into Sean Hannity's show and he said on the Hannity show that he had been tested, this is after we had learned, it hadn't been put out by the White House, it was broken by Bloomberg News, that Hope Hicks, one of his closest aides who'd been traveling with him repeatedly in the previous days, had tested positive for COVID-19. So he tells Sean Hannity, yeah, I'm awaiting the results of a test and I will release the results. But he didn't tell Sean Hannity that he'd already had one test, albeit a rapid test, that had provided a, um, a positive result as well. Quote, I'll get my test back either tonight or tomorrow morning. And that's, he did uh, tweet it, as I said, 1 a.m. on Friday. Uh, the journal story goes on to say, um, Trump, while awaiting uh, the final results, told his aides, don't tell anyone, according to a person familiar with the conversation. Trump and his top advisors uh, aim to keep such a close hold on the early positive result that his campaign manager, Bill Stepien, didn't know that Hope Hicks had tested positive on Thursday morning until the news reports broke it. Um, the initial secrecy creating a great sense of anxiety, as you might imagine, in the West Wing. Um, because, first of all, not until now they even required people to wear masks there, which I think is insane. Is it, you know, it looks big on television. It's very close quarters in the West Wing. The offices are mostly pretty small, other than, obviously, than the Oval Office. Um, one administration official telling the journal, I am glued to Twitter and TV because I have no official communication from anyone in the West Wing. Uh, Trump then became angry when he heard about the statement by Meadows. And then, of course, you go back to the uh, what now is being described as a super spreader event. It's only a week ago Saturday at the White House. What was there? A thousand people there? Amy Coney Barrett? Maybe I don't know if it was a thousand or not, but certainly you've all seen the pictures of people sitting mostly maskless in the first few rows as the uh, judge was rolled out for the Supreme Court nomination. And you look at all the people there, and they've all tested positive now. Chris Christie, well, he might have gotten it from being in debate prep uh, with the president early in the week. Kellyanne Conway, 
um, also, I think, stopped in debate prep, but she might have gotten from going into that White House event. Her husband, George Conway, no fan of the president, to put it mildly, saying he was livid on Twitter. But the news of Kellyanne Conway's positive diagnosis was broken on TikTok by her 15-year-old daughter, Claudia, who later revealed that she, too, has gotten it. And I feel terrible for the family. So the mom's gotten it, now the daughter's gotten it, they have four children, I don't know if anyone else... You know, all of this is just heartrending. I mean, obviously, they're famous, and these are the people who run the country. So Bill Stepien's positive. Chris Christie is positive. He's, test, he's checked himself into a hospital. Kellyanne Conway is positive. Also, you have three Republican senators who have tested positive. Also, you have the president of Notre Dame University, uh, Notre Dame, who uh, came because uh, Amy Coney Barrett, a graduate of that school, he's tested positive. He's apologized for his poor judgment. Um. All of this, I think, a kind of an abject lesson in the fact that I, I don't want to go down the road of saying, well, the president was so reckless and therefore, you know, of course this is going to happen. But it would have been better if the president and top White House officials had been more cautious about wearing masks, had not held indoor rallies, going back to Tulsa, had not perhaps even held some of the outdoor rallies, uh, had not held these events at the White House, which includes, you know, that I guess the thousand people was the the last day of the Republican convention, which which was moved to the South Lawn. Um, all of us sending mixed messages. I mean, every poll shows that Republicans are much more wary of or or don't want to wear masks than Democrats are. It became this sort of cultural dividing line. Meanwhile, this morning, the president, with lots of energy, you know, there's speculation, maybe it's because he's on these stories. I don't know. Maybe he's just bored. There's been reports he's bored at the hospital. He wants to go home. 17 tweets in the course of less than an hour, a lot of them all caps, most of them all caps, saying things like law and order, vote, religious liberty, vote, space force, vote. Well, you know, it's the only way he has to campaign for re-election right now. Uh, I certainly don't regret him that. But here is... Um, a poll that, that uh, really goes to the heart of what we're talking about here. This is a poll by ABC News and Ipsos. It was released yesterday. I'm just seeing it this morning. Nearly three out of four Americans doubt that President Trump took seriously the threat posed to his well-being nor the steps necessary to avoid contracting the virus. This is the poll. And it's fascinating. And it goes back to you know what he told Bob Woodward, that he knew how serious the airborne virus was back in early February, that conversation with Woodward. Two different questions. Both of those questions, 72% of those surveyed said President Trump did not take the risk of contracting the virus seriously enough or the appropriate precautions when it came to his personal health. Now, in these two poll questions, 43% of the Republicans agreed with that negative sentiment, wasn't careful enough, didn't take enough precautions. For Democrats, you'll not be shocked to hear, the returns were 95% and 94%. So virtually all Democrats think the president has been less than responsible here. Almost half, but not quite, but more than two out of five Republicans have that same view. This has got to hurt. And then the other reason this hurts is not just that he can't go out on the campaign trail for at least another week, and we don't know what's going to happen in the last two debates, but because it puts COVID-19, I talked to Hogan Gidley about this, uh, the president's uh, top campaign spokesman on media buzz it puts COVID back at the top of the agenda he says yeah well he acted early and he disputed the notion the president had downplayed it early and i said look i could play all the videotapes it'll go away soon uh it'll magically disappear it'll be gone by april it'll be gone by the summer and we've all saw that 
And, and then he later told Woodward he wanted to be a cheerleader. He didn't want... It's the same kind of reasoning that Dr. Conley used in talking about the president's condition. Now, again, I'm not happy about any of this. I want him to get well. I want to see a resumption of a normal campaign. I, I Just for all kinds of reasons. But they haven't handled it well. A couple of other polls out. There's an NBC Wall Street Journal poll out. It shows, and this is a national poll, registered voters. It doesn't get into the state by state. Biden, 53. Trump, 39. 14-point lead. Reuters is out with a poll that gives Biden a 10-point lead. Now, I think the NBC poll may be an outlier. I've seen at least one or two analyses. Maybe it's partisan that Democrats were oversampled. I don't think... Uh, Joe Biden is leading this race by 14 points. He might be leading it by 8 or 9 or 10 points. As you know, what it comes down to, of course, is you know wh- how it is in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Florida and all those uh, that handful of states that's going to decide this election. But these polls coming before the president's diagnosis, but after the debate in Cleveland when you know polls also showing more people many more people thought Joe Biden won because the president uh, came out so hot constantly interrupting and by the way I got into this with Hogan Giddy as well well Joe Biden was the first to interrupt and Joe Biden interrupted a lot it's true but Fox did an analysis 145 interruptions by President Trump of either Chris Wallace or Joe Biden and Biden I believe had 67 interruptions of either of the other two people on the stage Meanwhile, just to give you a sense of how much you come under scrutiny when you have one of these jobs, Politico has a big piece about Mark Meadows um, that talks about back in 2013 when there was an attempt to dump John Boehner as House Speaker. Uh, Meadows was a rookie congressman from North Carolina. Um, He had um, participated in this sort of plotting to oust Boehner. And that got out, and he went to Boehner's office, and according to several sources, he got down on his knees put his hands together in front of his chest and says, Mr. Speaker, will you forgive me? And Boehner took pity on him. He figured Meadows was just a nervous new member who wanted to be liked. They had uh, good relations the next couple of years. And then in 2015, he voted against Boehner's re-election. And then Boehner says, he's quoted on the record here, uh, John Boehner says, he sends me the most gracious note you'll ever read saying what an admirable job I've done as Speaker. I just figured he's a schizophrenic. Um, The political piece goes on to say that a lot of people don't trust Meadows. I don't know if that's true or not. But it says that, which makes him precisely the wrong person to be at the center of an international crisis. Well, one personal note, um, you know, New York City, which had been so hard hit, it was the epicenter of COVID-19 early on, had really bounced back, had gotten the rates down now that public schools are open. But now uh, Mayor de Blasio has ordered a, a shutdown, you know, going back to, you know, all non-essential businesses, schools being closed in nine different zip codes in Brooklyn and Queens. And just personally, you know, I know all these neighborhoods. I first lived in Bensonhurst. That's one of the neighborhoods that's been shut down. I then spent most of my childhood at Sheepshead Bay, part of Sheepshead Bay, and a neighboring neighborhood also shut down. If you know the city, Borough Park, Midwood. Um, And a lot of those are areas with a large number of Orthodox Jews, tend to have large families. They uh, perhaps, I don't know, are, are less cautious about this, but for whatever reason, uh, they're trying to make sure it doesn't spread to other neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens and ultimately to the five boroughs. But to look back and say, wow, that's where I grew up and now it's being shut down a second time uh, just brings home for me uh, how this virus, you know, we've talked a lot about Trump, the first lady and the campaign manager and Kellyanne and all that. But 210,000 Americans are dead, and this is not encouraging news. 
Well, uh, as you can tell, I'm out of breath. It's been a long week and I basically haven't stopped working. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. We try to stay on top of the news for you and give you a good analysis of both the politics and the media. You can get us on Apple iTunes. You can get us at Google Podcasts. You can get us on your Amazon device. And we will see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.